Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. Anyone who wants to be president has to come through New Hampshire first, and no one covers New Hampshire politics like WMUR. I'm WMUR political director Adam Sexton, and we hope you can join us every week for this podcast. In July, the Democratic presidential primary lost one contender in Eric Swalwell and then quickly gained another potentially more formidable candidate in the form of Tom Steyer, a businessman who built a billion-dollar fortune and has been deploying it in the last few years in service of progressive causes. Now, he wants to lead from the White House, and Mr. Steyer is our guest this morning. Adam. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So right off the bat, when your event in Summersworth this last week, uh, you addressed the B word, billionaire. You said, I know people have heard things. Is this something you feel you need to explain uh, or even apologize for in the modern Democratic Party that you've made a lot of money? No, I don't think I have to apologize for anything. But what I do think is that I want people to understand who I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing. What I said in Summersworth is I tried to tell people why what I'm doing, which is to try to return power to the American people, to break the corporate stranglehold on our democracy, which is what I've been doing as an outsider for the last 10 years, comes directly from my family and our shared values and the experiences that my parents and that that my immediate family has had. So that what I was trying to tell people was my mother was a journalist and a teacher in New York public schools and in the Brooklyn House of Detention, that my father was a lawyer who interrupted his law practice to go into the Navy in World War II and then prosecuted the Nazis at Nuremberg. And what they stood for and what they drummed into my brothers and me was we're on the earth to stand up for what's right. And so for me to quit my job, to take the giving pledge, to give my money away to good causes and to spend 10 years organizing coalitions of ordinary citizens to take on and beat unchecked corporate power is entirely consistent with who I am, with the family that I was brought up in, and in the family that I have now. You talk about the unchecked corporate power. That's a big part of the message. So if you're president, what is the action that would be most important to releasing that grip that you want to break? Well, what I've said, and I came out with four structural changes to break the stranglehold these corporations have on our government. They were one, term limits in Congress to 12 years, so that Congress people don't have an incentive to just stay there forever and get ensconced and make sure that they're pleasing the corporations, but actually want to get something done. Two, to have a national referendum, so that if Congress won't pass something, and the example I'd use is mandatory background checks on all gun purchases. 90% of Americans want, want it, and we can't get it near Congress. Then you could go directly to the people the way we do in 26 states and pass a law if they vote for it. Three is to get rid of the voter restrictions, to make it easy to vote for every American citizen, which involves undoing the voter suppression that Republicans have been doing, but also passing laws so that it's easy for people to, get, to, to put, a, put in a ballot. And fourth is we need to get rid of a very simple idea that's in American law, which is corporations are people. Corporations are not people. Their control of our government is based on the legal falsehood that corporations are people and should have all the rights of American citizens. They're not people. They don't have hearts. They don't have souls. They don't have families. They're dedicated to their profit line, period. And they're willing to do anything within the law to get that. And they're willing to rewrite the law so they can be more aggressive. And we need to get rid of that immediately. It will be a struggle. There are things we can do at once. There are things that will take time to do. 
but we need to structurally break their, break their ability to write the laws about how they're going to do business to the disadvantage of the American people. And yet there are people running these corporations. Do you contend, and you probably know a lot of these so-called titans of industry, are they amoral? They think something, they think their job is to make profits for their shareholders. They believe that that's what's in the law. They believe that's what they're getting paid for. And therefore, that's what they do to the exclusion of anything else. And they don't even know they're doing that. So I'll give you a story that is how I think about this, Adam. I was one of the people who was fighting as hard as possible to prevent the Keystone Pipeline from being built in Canada. And it was, it was something where I felt structurally in the world it was really important for it not to happen. And I felt that if we didn't build it, we'd create a lot more jobs in the United States by having renewable energy than we would building that pipeline to access Canadian fossil fuels. But as part of it, I went up there and I was staying with a First Nations chief there whose tribe was being poisoned by the chemical runoff from the tar sands. So they'd been always hunter-fishermen, and the tar sands were leaching chemicals into the water that they drank, into the fish that they caught, into the deer that they shot and ate. And he had been fighting, at that point, about a 30-year battle with these oil companies to try and save the lives of his tribe, 2,500 people. And he told me that he'd been fighting in particular with one lawyer for 20 years, and he'd been losing because this guy had 40 lawyers and he, the, the chief had half a lawyer. And so he had, it was an unequal fight in every way. And, but his chief antagonist retired on a Friday and called him on a Monday and said, whatever you do, chief, do not stop fighting. You are the only thing standing between your tribe and extinction. That's what I think. Here is a guy who knew what he was doing knew that he was potentially killing 2,500 people and did it anyway because he thought that was what he was, that his job was to do it and as long as he was being paid to do the job, he had to do the job. So that's my attitude. I don't take it personally. I just understand what they're talking about, that they're going to absolutely represent their shareholders' rights to profits as much as possible and I dismiss what they have to say as a result. Let's shift to some foreign policy. Russia attacked our election in 2016. Uh, safe to say not much has been done in response, but we don't know. Cyber warfare is a behind the scenes kind of a thing. If you're the president, are you going to be more actively engaging in cyber warfare, it, returning the favor, if you will, against Russia? Look, cyber, you, you use the word warfare. This was an electronic attack on the United States of America. That is exactly how I would take it. The wars of the future are not going to be the wars of the 20th century or the 19th century. No one is going to bring gunships and shell Washington, D.C. They're going to attack us through cyber warfare. They're going to attack us through the grid. They're going to do things. They will not be able to do the traditional warfare. Of course we have to be absolutely serious about cyber, about protecting ourselves. Of course we have to be the best people in the world. We have to dominate that. That's, that is the warfare of the future. That is the protection of America. That is the protection of the American democracy. We have to take it incredibly seriously and we're not up to snuff. Yeah, but what would you do though? Are you going You're to asking me would I aggressively attack them in cyber? No. Look, what we're trying to do is establish a way for people around the world to be able to live their lives freely. We're going to have to challenge them in every way if they do that to us on, in terms of cyber, but also directly. 
This is not, they have been allowed to get away with this. That can't happen. You cannot attack the United States of America and have the president excuse it. I wouldn't excuse it for a second. That's the kind of thing that has to be dealt with immediately, really strongly. We should have sanctions on those people. That is absolutely unacceptable. The Chinese are likely to be testing some boundaries in the Pacific as this century goes forward. What's the appropriate response from the White House? Look, when you think about the Chinese, this is the second biggest economy in the world. We are intertwined many, many ways. They cheat commercially every single day in multiple fashions, and they're going to do whatever they can to take advantage. We are also linked with them, so we are going to have to push back all the time. We are going to have to call them on things. We're going to have to, there's going to have to be a response and a punishment when they break the rules, because actually, no matter what happens, we can't get away from China and they can't get away from us. We need them to start playing by the right rules and to understand that the way that they're going to do the best is by cooperating with us, not breaking the rules and attacking us. That cooperation that has to include climate change, obviously. How do you bring all of these players to the table, particularly these nations that are still industrializing and growing, and convince them to give up or at least stop producing as much carbon? Well, I think there's a couple of things to say there, and they all involve American leadership. I said in my climate plan that we would I would declare a state of emergency day one of my presidency. We have to commit to doing things real time and getting our house in order and commit to it and have everybody in the world see that we're using the emergency powers of the presidency to deal with the crisis real time. And part of that is to get our house in order and part is to show the rest of the world, we're going to come to you and ask you to treat it the same way. And by the way, as a business person for 30 years, we're gonna, we're, we can show you that technologically, renewable energy is cheaper than any of your fossil fuel energy. And by the way, if you look at the costs, if you look at the bids for renewable energy, solar and wind is cheaper per kilowatt hour than any fossil fuel. And the price is going to continue to go down. So there's no reason that India should ever build another coal plant. No reason they can do much better with solar and wind. There is no reason that China should build another coal plant. They can do much better with renewables, and we've got to share the technology with them and lead industrially and build big companies around this. We're going to have to rebuild this country. This world is going to have to be rebuilt. America's got to be in the vanguard of the technology and of the industry to make it happen and make it possible for every country that thinks that a coal plant's a good idea to show them. Actually, it's a horrible idea. It's way too expensive. It's terrible for the health of your citizens. And by the way, China and India are two of the countries that are going to suffer the most from climate, and they know it. So let's make it possible for them to do the right thing and be better employed and more prosperous as a result. Back to the home front. Uh, on health care, do you support Medicare for all? I support a government option for every American that health care is a right in America in the 21st century. I also know that about 150 million Americans get their health care through their employer. And my goal as president would be to make sure that the public option is so attractive that those 150 million Americans go to their employers and say, here's the deal. I want to take the public option and I want a big raise because you're not paying for my health care anymore. That's what I want. And that's exactly what should happen is we don't tell people you have to do this. This is a free country. We don't do that. 
people are allowed to arrange their own lives. We should make it so obvious that the public option is better, that everybody goes and uses the public option as a way to get a big raise at work. Because a lot of the reason people haven't gotten a raise for 40 years is the cost of healthcare has exploded. And so this is a chance for us to use the power of the government to beat down the cost to where they are every place else in the world and let the public option win in the marketplace, drive out employer-based health care, and then get people a raise at the same time. All right, Mr. Steyer, thanks for Adam, joining us on Close Up. What a treat. We appreciate your nice time. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.